grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the house of the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. And because we are gathered in Christ's name, that means there are no qualifiers whatsoever attached to our word of welcome. All are welcome in Christ's house, and so all are welcome here at First Church. This is a very special Sunday in the life of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia as we kick off a year of celebrations. Today marks 150 years since the dedication of this sanctuary. Accordingly, we have sought to incorporate many features of that service from the late 19th century within reason. We're not going to turn the lights off, for instance, but that is to say that if this is your first time with us, don't get too attached to this order of worship. We'll be back to our regular order next Sunday. As the year goes on, we will celebrate the 325th anniversary of the founding of this congregation in 1698. And I want you to know that as the pastor of the church that is considered the mother of American Presbyterianism, I sent your greetings today to the Providence Presbyterian Church in Gum Spring, Virginia, who are celebrating their 275th anniversary today. And a daughter of this congregation, the Reverend Susan Steinberg, serves as their pastor and is leading them in their celebration. And they, in turn, send their affectionate greetings to us. I'll ask you, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad and at the conclusion of this service to proceed to Old Buttonwood Hall just out this door to my right and down a short ramp where a celebratory reception is to follow this service. You will find there artifacts and articles from the history of this congregation as well as delicious food prepared by our deacons and our commemoration committee. You won't want to miss this one. Now let us worship the Lord our God. God, from the pages of scripture we read, the Lord in his, in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before the Lord. And we read as well, sing to the Lord a new song. So in this hour we ask that you will bless our worship. Be present to us as we sing your praises, as we confess our sin, as we read your holy word and seek understanding, and as we offer of ourselves and our substance and our prayers. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Holy God, we give you praise that your steadfast love does endure forever. On mornings where the sun shines bright, or on mornings like today where there are clouds, your steadfast love endures. When we greet the day with energy, or when we want to pull the covers back over us and stay in bed, your steadfast love endures forever. When we are ready to face the world filled with joy, or when we are in pain and in grief, your steadfast love surrounds and holds us. And so we can offer our praise, knowing that this is the day that you indeed have made, and we can be glad and rejoice in it. Today, as we celebrate the 150th anniversary of this incredible building, I think it is appropriate that it is during our annual giving campaign. Last Sunday, while Megan was preaching in the pulpit, she observed in her sermon, and I quote, giving is a big conversation. And indeed, it is. It is not only about our giving in support of our current mission, but also about our giving as a legacy in support of the mission of the church for those who come after us. The people who made possible this building also make it possible for us to worship in this church today. Let me share with you a few points about the amazing history of this building. Have you ever closely examined the sculpture contained within the pediment above the Walnut Street doors? It contains a marvelous work of art with intricately carved vines and a medallion containing symbols of the early Christian church. This is the work of famous Philadelphia sculptor Alexander Milne Calder. His most familiar work is the statue of William Penn atop Philadelphia's City Hall, which he did a few years after he did the sculpture in this church. And have you ever taken a look at the window at the rear of this side, the, the Wanamaker side of the sanctuary? And I have urged you to do that if you have not. I think this 1913 window may be my favorite of all of the windows in this church. It shows two angels pointing to a verdant garden, the Garden of Resurrection. 
and was in memory of Emily Barclay McFadden. It is one of the eight in this sanctuary that were produced by the Tiffany Studios of New York City. Now, if you look over here between the second and third windows on the west wall of the sanctuary is a bronze plaque honoring Emily's husband, George Henry McFadden. This plaque is the handiwork of the famous Philadelphia black blacksmith and metal designer, Samuel Yellen. George and Emily McFadden were committed members of this church in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. 19th and 20th century predecessors of people who were long before us. George was a partner of a large Philadelphia firm that shipped cotton from North America to Liverpool in England. George was responsible for a cost-effective solution for obtaining all of these amber-colored bricks that line the walls of this sanctuary. The architect specifically required bricks that were amber-colored, not the usual standard Philadelphia red brick, and he did not want any plaster applied to these bricks. But the problem was, finding amber bricks in the United States was a very expensive process. The closest place, the places available was Milwaukee, and they had to be shipped by Erie Canal and then by rail. But George McFadden's company owned ships that transported cotton from America to Liverpool, England. And knowing that the ships went over full and returned partially empty, and he also knew that these amber-colored bricks were readily available in England and much cheaper than the ones that would be obtained from Milwaukee. And so he arranged to have 47,000 amber-colored bricks that line the walls of this sanctuary shipped as ballast in his ship returning from England to Philadelphia. Now, as we consider this building, I will recall and ask you to look at in the uh, Old Buttonwood Hall, the October 12, 1872 edition of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and on its first page, described this new building, and I quote, as one of the grandest of the many fine churches that adorn Philadelphia. It truly is a magnificent space for worship. I hope that you, like I, find this sanctuary especially inspiring. The parade of arches everywhere you look in this room provides a most amazing and inspiring place for worship. The gable's roof is 60 feet above the floor of the nave, and the whole building seems to be reaching out in praise and in prayer, reaching out to the heavens praise and in prayer. Now you no doubt have looked at the cover of your bulletin and wondered, is that really the spire that is actually on this building? And of course it is not. The building had, uh, the tower on the building had not been completed at the time of the 1872 dedication. When the time came to do that, the trustees decided upon a different tower one that was cheaper and one that was shorter. And they obtained the services of Philadelphia Frank Furness to design this tower that is on the church today. 
Now the 1872 building did not include today's parish house, kitchen, office, or bathroom. I encourage you when you're in the reception in Old Buttonwood Hall to look at the display boards that are around the room. The, they feature historic photos and information about our building, including the numerous additions and renovations over the past 150 years. Much of this information is from the research of Michael Smith, who is the church's unofficial historian and a member of the Commemoration Committee. You should be aware that he and others on the committee are working on a book, a very detailed book about the art and architecture of this church, and it should be available within the next few months. Also, just as a, an aside, remember that Michael will be giving tours of this building after the 11 a.m. services beginning next Sunday and then for the following three Sundays. So check out the website for the details because the focus of each tour will be a little different. As we remember the legacy of our building from those who preceded us in this place, we are reminded that an important part of receiving a gift or a legacy is in turn providing a legacy for those who come after us. There is a notice on the back page of your worship bulletin about the Buttonwood Circle, which includes those who have named First Church as a, benefit of, as a beneficiary of their legacy. If you are not yet a member of the Buttonwood Circle and, know, and want to know more how you can plan for your legacy for First Church, please contact church office. I thank you for your attention, and I look forward to joining you at this very special reception in Old Buttonwood Hall at the conclusion of the service. Part of the service around the time this building was dedicated would have been a weekly recitation of the Decalogue, more commonly known to many of us as the Ten Commandments. It is said that they can, or the Ten Commandments can be summed up as what Jesus gives us as the two greatest commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this morning, we use them as our prayer of confession, acknowledging that while we may not feel like we are breaking some of them, we do break others of them. And we can examine how we do that and how we can better live into following God. God spake these words and said, I am the Lord thy God, who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not make to thyself any graven image, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down to them, nor worship them. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain.
remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. Amen. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We're going to tell the congregation about what we did before church started because Mr. Leonard just gave them a little preview about some fun tours that are going to happen to celebrate this wonderful building. How old is this building today? Uh, 150. With a few other children that were still around, and we took a look at some of the beautiful carvings that are in this building, inside and outside. You kind of have to look up. Sometimes you have to look sideways. But there are some incredible things. What did we find first, Jordan? Can you tell the congregation what we found first? What? What is it? What are they? Flowers. Flowers. Yes, they happen to be my favorite flowers. There are tulips that you can find when you go to this building. 
And then we found one of our favorite creatures that goes hop, hop, hop. What did we find? Uh, what did we find? A frog. And that one's a little hard to find, but it's near Megan's head, right? And then we actually went outside. And Reagan, why don't you help him? Lemur. There's a lemur if you look up above the doors on Walnut Street. And then we found a creature that we see throughout the streets of Philadelphia scurrying around, looking for nuts. What was this one? like a chipmunk. That's a good one. A squirrel. There's actually a squirrel that's carved into stone. And then we found something that lives in the water and can take a big chomp. Reagan? An alligator. An alligator. And then finally, perfect for this time of year, since we're about to scary Halloween, Uh, a dragon. A dragon. And there's actually quite a few of those. So when you do go on these tours, you too will see some of the things that we saw. And this is important because this is how we're celebrating, remembering how old this building is. And that's something that we want to remember so we can tell people in another 50 years when we celebrate the 200th anniversary of this building how we have taken care of this building for the last 150 years and how we use it to celebrate Jesus and God. Thank you, Jordan.
today's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, depending on the word of the Lord. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all unguile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, and only priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Until you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning comes from Second Chronicles, in the sixth chapter, starting at the first verse. Then said Solomon, The Lord hath said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. But I have built an house for, of habitation for thee, and a place for thy dwelling forever. And the king turned his face, and blessed the whole congregation of Israel. And all the congregation of Israel stood and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who hath with his hands fulfilled that which he spake with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city among all the tribes of Israel to build a house in, that my name might be there, neither chose I any man to be a ruler over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name might be there, and have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Our final lesson is the 96th Psalm. Listen to the word of God. O oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, shew forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. 
Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto God's name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world shall also be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me now, if you will, in a moment of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Think for a moment about a place you love. Do you have an image in your head? What are its contours? Its silhouette in the morning light? Does it have a smell uniquely its own? Now think for a moment why you love this place. Did some magical joyous moment in your life take place there? Or perhaps was it where you sought solace in life's harder moments? Places become important to us. In some ways, they help us mark the chapters of our lives. And when I think of the places that are the most important to me, a great many of them are sanctuaries. In my mind's eye, I can see the chapel where I worshipped with my family as a child and my nostrils flare with the musty smell of old hymnals. I remember the first church that I pastored and where the people sat. I can, without much effort, envision the way the afternoon sun slanted across the pews of the church that I served in Atlanta. And I treasure the knowledge of where George and Mary Schneider sat and Ike Williams and I can still see Bob Cole and John Whitmer and Jean Jenny Mezebog in their pews, just as I know that you can remember people perhaps unknown to me, but of great importance to you. I am reminded of a sentence preached by Dr. Elias Beadle at the dedication of this sanctuary in 1872. These very stones 
palpitate with life's throes. These are the stones of our Bethel, this side of Jordan. Bethel is where Jacob dreamt of the ladder to heaven and where God renewed with Jacob the promises made to Abraham, promises of blessing. Churches are places of promise. Here we make promises to God. We make promises to each other. We receive the promise of the gospel. Churches are places of promise. This congregation has occupied many places through the years, each a stone of Bethel this side of Jordan. In 1683, the Reverend Francis McKamey was sent, to the sent by the Presbytery of Lagan in County Donegal to the Virginia and Maryland colonies with the charge to preach and teach the doctrine and discipline of Calvin and Knox to the colonists. And in 1692, he made his way to Philadelphia, where he gathered together a, a group of ecumenical Protestants of many different backgrounds and nationalities into a congregation that met in a store belonging to the Barbados Company, also called the Society of Free Traders. The first sanctuary of this congregation was a storefront at the corner of Second and Chestnut. After the Baptists withdrew to form their own congregation, the Presbyterians organized ourselves with the call of our first minister in 1698, and American Presbyterianism was born. When the congregation outgrew the store, our first true sanctuary was built at the corner of Market Street and White Horse Alley, becoming affectionately known as Old Buttonwood. A series of sanctuaries followed, homes of both the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia and our daughter congregation, Second Presbyterian, which reunited in this sanctuary in 1948. And there is a fundamental truth of church life, of this congregation and, frankly, of every congregation, and it is this. We drink from wells we did not dig, and we eat from orchards we did not plant. That is the promise we receive, and that is the promise we give. We do not own this church. We are only entrusted with it. And I am told that among the artifacts of this congregation are title deeds for the homes of its members put up in pledge for the good of this church. How's that for stewardship? You can rest assured that your annual giving team isn't going to ask you for the deed to your house, but we are going to ask you to give. You will receive your annual giving mailings this week with your pledge card to be brought back here to worship next Sunday, or to be mailed in, or to be offered online, however you choose to give, because we do ask our members to give. And we don't ask our members to give just because we think it's a good thing for people to give, although we do. We think it is how we secure the promise of what was entrusted to us, of what we've received. 
we secure it by ourselves and our commitment. Because we owe this congregation in 150 years what that congregation 150 years ago gave to us. They gave us their treasure and their commitment to the witness to Jesus Christ on the corner of 21st and Walnut Streets. And I am reminded again of what Dr. Beadle preached all those years ago when the congregation first came into this beautiful room and worshipped here. Preaching on our Psalter lesson that we read this morning, he took as verse 6 his text, Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Now the language he used was naturally a product of his era, but we know from a newspaper article about his sermon that he said, has not God made everything beautiful? With what elaborate skill does he paint the lily or color the insect's wing? If we essay to build him a house and ask him to occupy it, it must be the best. God does not ask pensioners on his bounty to give him what costs them nothing. He goes on, this is only meanness. It is not Christian economy. It is to send Christ to the stable. And then he concludes, men may never enter God's house, but the sanctuary will stand as a power of strength. Solidity of this structure becomes God's house. This beautiful structure has been reared as a house of God. It does not stand as an ostentatious display of our zeal. And then he drops that line. These very stones palpitate with life's throes. These are the stones of our Bethel, this side of Jordan. The ancient Hebrews would erect stones in places of great significance. When Jacob awoke from the dream at Bethel, he poured oil over the stone where he had laid his head during the night and set it as a sacred reminder of this vision from God. And as I have said before, these stones, these Ebenezers, are raised up to remind us of promises. And I hope it won't seem too precious on this anniversary Sunday to assign such meaning to this building. This wonderful old church has been for 150 years a stone erected on this corner to stand in witness to the promises of God. Many years ago, I was discussing another sanctuary with my friend James. That congregation, like this one, had always valued excellence in worship, taking care to provide the best music that they could afford, coming prepared to hear a lively word preached, and as we were speaking of how the culture of that congregation was formed and how they came to value what they received in worship so much, I observed that anything other than excellence would seem terribly out of place in their grand sanctuary. And Jane then replied, first we build our building and then they build us. And isn't that also another fundamental truth of the church? Not only that we drink from wells we did not dig, 
but that what we build builds us back. And, of course, I am not speaking only of this structure now. Naturally, we didn't construct it. We didn't hire the architect. We didn't pay the stonemasons. We didn't design the stained glass windows. But we most certainly are building a church. We are building a church with every relationship that sustains us in hard times, every prayer offered in faith, every hand held in adversity. We are building a church with every wedding celebrated and every baptismal promise we confirm. We are building a church for a congregation 150 years from now and 325 years from now. We are building what this grand old building was built to house, a witness to Jesus Christ in whom all of God's promises are secured. Which means that what we are building at its most basic level is our own home. I've never forgotten a story a preacher told of striking up a conversation on an airplane that was making its final descent to an airport in Oklahoma. A young woman was sitting next to him, and as the plane broke through the clouds, she started snapping photographs through the window of the Oklahoma plains. As they taxied to the jetway, he asked her where her day had started. She was returning home from a lengthy trip backpacking in Europe. So then he asked her what her favorite place had been, and she had fallen in love with the Alps. And then he said, I have a tongue in cheek. You left the Alps this morning, and now you're snapping pictures of the plains of Oklahoma? She said, oh, the Alps are very beautiful, but this is home. This is home. Home is such a profoundly important place, and I wonder, when I ask you to think of a place, how many of you thought of a place that you had at one point in time, or even now, call home. Home is where we are invited to be our most authentic. As Robert Frost wrote, home is the place where when you go there, they have to take you in. The building was given to us by our forebears, but what we are building now is just as precious because what we are building with this congregation is a home, a place of welcome, a place where we are invited to be our most authentic. We are building the place where children learn who they are and who has loved them, and where we ourselves are reminded of what God promises to humankind and what God calls forth from humankind. We are building a community where the two tables of the law, which we recited in the Decalogue, just as our forebears did, stand as a reminder of how God teaches us to live toward God and to live toward one another, toward genuine community. We are building a church, a home, where the promises of God stand as a touchstone to our lives to remind us of who we are and to whom we belong. And the construction goes on.
At the conclusion of his sermon, Dr. Beadle wrote, God has given us a sanctuary. This day we pass its threshold and come before its altar. We have long traversed the wilderness, but our fears are at rest and our best hopes are fulfilled. And that's true. In 1872, the country was recovering from the Civil War. There was much to give thanks for and much to mourn. And now, 150 years later in 2022, we are recovering from a global pandemic and we have much to give thanks for, just as many of us have much to mourn. And here in this place, we receive from God the promises that sustain our lives, and the work goes on. So Dr. Beadle concluded, Our work, however, is not done. Here the gospel is to be preached in simplicity. It should be preached with power. You are to make this church a center of attraction. You are to make a power for good in the city of your habitation. This church, he was referring to Second Church, is one of the oldest in America and was founded by Whitfield. But you cannot live by the reputation of the past. You are to make this church, which they loved and in which they died, an august presence and a stronghold of righteousness. May this church be arrayed in the beauty of holiness and walk with God. And that was a good charge then. And it is a good charge now. We are building a church. We are erecting an Ebenezer, you and I, and all of us together, by the promises we share and by what we do together and by what we commit to do generation to generation. You and I are the stones of our Bethel, this side of Jordan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Let us give and live generously in response that, to all that God has done for us. Let us present our tithes and offerings to the Lord.
Holy God, these offerings are only a portion of all that you have given us. We gratefully present these, ta- or these gifts and entrust them to your work in this world. May our gifts share the good news of the gospel to those who are in need. May these gifts help unburden those with the heaviest of loads. Amen. of grace, nourish us this day through word and worship. Strengthen our desire to discern and do your will. Focus us on your path of righteousness so we can walk steadily under your direction. Bend your ear to us, God of love, as we pray not only for ourselves, but for people everywhere. We pray for those suffering the aftermath of natural disasters, for their lives, homes, and businesses destroyed by hurricanes. We pray for those who are exhausted, those struggling to pay bills and put food on the table, those overwhelmed by suffering and in need of a lighter load. We pray for those living in war zones, especially for the people of Ukraine and the women of Iran, people desperate for justice and peace. We pray for leaders, administrators, decision-makers who cannot please everyone, yet still strive to do what is just and right. We pray for our nation's leaders. May they uphold those in need, defend the oppressed, and resist the idols of money and power. We pray for disputes to end, for people to work together, for our nation to know peace. We pray for those who are ill and for those who are their caregivers. We pray for those struggling with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Free us from any shame or stigma that keeps us from acknowledging our need and getting the help we deserve. Instill in us a sense of mutual responsibility for the health and well-being of all your children. Finally, O God, mold us for service so we can be the answer to the prayers we pray, according to your word and inspired by the one who saves, Jesus Christ our Lord. United as a family of faith and as the body of Christ, we lift these prayers up to you. God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Hear us pray these prayers along with the prayer that Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, the glory forever. Amen. Both this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. 